Welcome to our Advent series uh, before Christmas. Ordinary people in an extraordinary story. And we're so excited about this and ready to um, dive into the Christmas story and maybe look at it from a different vantage point, making me ask the question, what lens do you use in life? We all have a lens that we see things through, right? A certain perspective on it. Here's the thing. If you take a baseball game, and you look at it from three different vantage points, you get three unique perspectives on the same thing. If you have a third base coach, the guy who stands on third base giving signs to the batter and also coaching the runners on what to do, right? They're watching the whole field. They're going to have a certain take on the game. If you have a... um, let's say, uh, I don't know, second baseman. That second baseman is going to have a a different view of the game. He's going to see it from his isolated kind of position that he played, and he's also going to see it from his at-bats and the way he engages the game throughout those nine innings. And then if you take a super fan, right, like a Cubs fan who's just psychotically devoted to their team, and they look at it and they study what went on in the games and they know it from from a super fan standpoint, from the stats, from the players' trends and stats, and they look at everything by that, you're going to have the same game looked at three different ways. What is your lens? It's all the same game, but they'll all see it differently based on the lens they have. What's your lens? I love that question. For Christmas, uh, the devotions, we compiled this year three of the four Gospels. We took three of the four Gospels that mention and um, talk about the birth of Christ. Not all four Gospels do that, but um, three of the Gospels do. Matthew, Luke, and John all look at the Gospels and all all look at the birth of Christ within those Gospel stories. And... um, they, they mentioned Jesus' arrival, and we tried to put it into a chronological uh, story, Christmas story, uh, focusing on some of the characters who are mentioned in it. Maybe not the front characters, but some of the people around the back of this. And, and trying to get a look at what their lens on it would have been. What would they have seen of this Christmas story, and what would their perspective have been? So things to remember, as we explore the accounts of the Gospels in the first Christmas, here's a couple of things. First of all, Jesus Christ was always the plan. Jesus isn't. His birth, his life, his death and resurrection is not plan B. He didn't, God didn't say, well, they really messed it up so bad, we gotta do something. God is all-knowing. He knew this was the plan. And he made it such. Jesus was always the plan from the first words of creation, let there be light, to the actual incarnation, the coming of the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was always plan A. He would save the world that he created and his inf- in God's infinite wisdom, he had a plan from the very beginning. The next thing we need to do is this. In the Old Testament, God's word was the means by which he revealed himself through creation. He spoke things into being. God's word is how he revealed himself through the prophets who spoke for him and 
through the written word, the Torah, and the historical books of the Old Testament, even the wisdom literature, the word was seen in his mighty acts and the historical reality of God taking his people out of slavery, creating a covenant with them and being faithful to it. We see that in the word of God. In the New Testament, we are given a more full and complete picture of God in Christ Jesus. In Jesus Christ, we can see the fullness of who who God the Father is. We can see who he actually is. He, Jesus Christ in the incarnation is the word made flesh. That is Jesus. The very word of God made flesh. So we have the text, the word of God for the Old Testament. Now we have the word of God made flesh. The very living word of God. And it's just this wonderful thing that we get to hold and know as we go into this series that Jesus was always the plan and Jesus is the very fullness of God. And we can look at that and take confidence. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever wondered why there's four different gospel accounts? And you know, like why? Why was there? Well, each one of them has a unique and specific lens to it. When you look at the Gospels, you can, you can see that in Matthew, the first Gospel, in Matthew, it is very much a Jewish Gospel. There's a lot of Jewish language. There's a lot of um, implied tradition that would uh, the, the writers just assuming we know of that, that tradition of the Jewish worship style and things like that. And his account of Jesus' birth begins with the bloodline of Christ dating clear back to Adam. He takes us all the way back and walks us up through there. So there's a bloodline to this. John wrote, his, the Gospel of John was written with all time in mind. The opening of John is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? John is saying not just the bloodline of Christ, he's going clear back to the moment of creation. The the pre-creation moment said Jesus was there. So John's looking at it from this, um, it doesn't start with Jewish history, it starts with the day everything began. It starts in the beginning, right? That's John's perspective. Mark, um, which we're not really diving into. Mark doesn't have a Christmas narrative in it. Mark was written to the persecuted church in Rome. This is the gospel that was written to people who were living, living under the suffering boot of empire and they were being persecuted and put to death. The gospel of Mark is a high octane punch at empire. And it says your suffering's not in vain and God will avenge, right? It takes almost, I think chapters 11 through 16 in Mark are all devoted to uh, the passion, the last week of Jesus' life. So it's very suffering intense, right? And then you have Luke. Luke wrote for us. Luke was not an original witness to the gospel. But here's what we know. He wrote for those who are outside the Jewish faith. Luke was a physician. He was studied, he was intelligent, and he knew what he was writing about when he began to compile the gospel narrative. His starts at the beginning of the story, during his time. So the birth of Christ. So we can see this. We have the beginning of all time, the Jewish beginning, and now the beginning 
of just the life of Jesus. There's, there's this layer to it. Luke, um, Luke is, is my wife's favorite gospel because he writes like a historian. He writes like someone who's gathering the fact and he put a lot of effort into collecting the story with integrity and being faithful to his sources, making sure it's accurate and telling the story in a way that the audience would understand. So let's take a look at the eyewitness account as we see in Luke chapter 1, verses uh, 1 to 5. It says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Remember the word, Jesus. Um, With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent, Theopolis. So what do we realize in this? Mark wanted his friend Theopolis to know Jesus. And so he's giving him as full a picture of who Jesus was, his life, his death, and the accomplished work of that life and death. So so he's doing this because he's an evangelist. He wants someone to know Jesus so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So how would you put together an eyewitness account? How would you take time and put together an eyewitness account of of a story like this? What would you do? You would go back to primary sources, people who actually walked with Jesus, who talked with Jesus, and you would corroborate the evidence of what different people saw on the mountainside when Jesus fed the 5,000. You would talk to different people and make sure those stories link up. You would go and have conversations with those who are with Jesus. You would interview the disciples. Here's one of the things, and I think this is fascinating, and I think it's um, appropriate for us to take some time and realize that that Jesus' disciples, let's say Luke interviewed the disciples of Christ, and let's say one of them was James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. And James... He saw him die. He saw the death that Jesus died, the flogging, which was a death sentence, and he lived through it, and then he was crucified. He heard him when he cried out his last breath on the cross. James saw Jesus die. He knew he died. He knows he died. He knows how physically destroyed Jesus would have been by the flogging and the crucifixion. And then the running through of a spear in his side. He knew he was laid in a tomb. So he had seen this. Imagine for Luke, a physician, hearing the brother of Jesus say to him, yes, this is what happens. He was flogged. He was crucified. He was put, to, put in a tomb, and the tomb was sealed closed. But he arose. And James would give his life as one of the earliest church leader martyrs in Jerusalem. He would die believing and promoting this gospel. Think of that. Like, just let that, wrap your head around that. How amazing is it for for Luke to sit and hear this account from someone who knew Jesus from his childhood? So James would have been his half-brother. 
He would have been the son of Mary and Joseph. He would have known Jesus. And when you think about the fact that he saw his death and he saw and experienced Jesus after his resurrection, what it says to me is, you don't give your life up for someone who died and, and you're like, no, he rose from the dead and he's here. You don't just make those things up and then give your life in service to it. James believed. Why? Because of what he had seen. And he told Luke about what he had seen. He, Peter told Luke. John told Luke. They told Luke the story. He built his case around the facts And the facts were that there were people who saw Jesus die. And they saw him after he rose again. And he was distinctly different. He was glorified. And they they gave witness to it. And it transformed Luke's understanding of everything that was going on, of what the, the center of history was all about. The center of history was no longer the Roman Empire. The center of history was the Lord Jesus Christ. In this story, we are going to explore Christmas from all three of the Gospels, kind of looking at it in order of what happened in order of the things that took place. And along the way, we are gonna introduce you to different characters mentioned in scripture and look at the story through their lives and see why they're in there, why they're mentioned, and see how that applies to our own life. What we're gonna give to you is, first of all, an advent calendar. We want you to have this. There's devotions written with uh, pictures of the characters. It's really, really cool. And you're gonna have the advent calendar to take this week um, with you when you go, or you can come by and pick it up. If you're watching this from far away from Michigan, send us an email and we'll get one out to you so you can be part of that advent calendar and the devotions, looking at the characters who were in Involved just beyond the central lens of the story of Jesus, there were people who were witnesses. And these are people that Luke probably talked to when he investigated what was going on. But there's another layer to this. We want to invite you to do something. I would like to invite you to become an investigator. To become an investigator, to become someone who looks into the Christian faith and the Christmas story. Don't be afraid to get your theological shovel out and dig in and find answers for yourself. Um, In Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ, what happened is he went in as either an atheist or agnostic to investigate and disprove Christianity. And what he found was a living, winsome, unconquerable. God, and Lee became a very famous, well-known Christian apologist, which isn't somebody who's like, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian. That's not what it is. It's someone who defends the faith, and he looked at it from a scientific and reality-based thing, but also from, a, from an aspect of he came to faith. We want you to dig in like Strobel did. I want you to dig in like C.S. Lewis did. I love C.S. Lewis. Probably one of the most prodigiously developed intellects um, in, in our modern age. Uh, one of the guys who's actually been part of the pandemic, he's, I think he's an epidemiologist, he, he's a doctor, and he is part of the Alpha series, and he speaks of Lewis, and I think he says word for word what I just said, one of the most prodigiously developed intellects of the age was C.S. Lewis, and he 
C.S. Lewis was an atheist when he was 15 to 17, right? He had lost his mother when he was nine. He was bitter and angry at God, and his dad was distant and not really available, and Lewis was frustrated, and he was angry. But I want you to catch something here. He read, he was going on a long train ride, so he picked up a book, of McDonald's book, um, and it's called... Um, it's, it's fantasies, P-H-A-N-T-A-S-E-S, fantasies like that. And it's a story, um, it's a love story of this young man who goes into a world that is fantasy. And, and Lewis says this of that book. Now I want you to get this. Lewis had become a hardline atheist and he, like Descartes and Kant and Nietzsche and, all, and Bertrand Russell and all these people, he had taken a very dark view of life and its meaninglessness when you don't have God, when there's not a reason for anything, when there's not a reason behind anything, there's no worth to anything. And Lewis had that view in his world was very dark. And it's hard to imagine that when you look at C.S. Lewis, the man who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. But here's what happened on reading McDonald's book as he went. Lewis said this, it baptized my imagination. It baptized my imagination. Part of him came to new life and he believes it was Christ who used that book to awaken the meaningfulness of everything. And Lewis began to dig in. He ended up writing probably one of the greatest books on Christianity and it's called Mere Christianity. And it's phenomenal and it's beautifully written. I mean, the guy had a way with a pen. It's, can you imagine like, what it was like to be around Lewis, like C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien were buddies. And they would meet at the Eagle and Child in Oxford, which is a pub. Had lunch there with my family uh, like seven years ago. It was awesome. We sat in, the, we tried to sit in the rabbit room, but they wouldn't let us, so we sat in the back room. Um, but like their writings are still on the wall, but they would sit there like Lewis and Tolkien and a couple of their contemporaries, and they would critique each other's writings. Can you imagine the intellectual horsepower in that room? Like Lord of the Rings, Tolkien, and Chronicles of Narnia, Lewis. And what was it? Their imagination had come alive. Tolkien had been at the Battle of Verdun in World War II, so we can see where he gets his imagery of Mordor. Lewis had been an orphan child, and we can begin to see, in World War II, he grew, he was a young boy, but as he grew up and was a young adult in World War II, he basically transposes his childhood into a world of fantasy where he meets who? The purpose, Aslan, the king. His imagination comes alive. Well, let's just think for a minute. What did he find in a world of meaninglessness? He began to develop with his own imagination a world of creativity where someone with, um, with love and creativity and winsomeness, the Aslan character would walk through these as yet unformed worlds. And what did he do? Aslan would sing a song. That, that creation was a song in his books. It's one of the most beautiful things when you look at C.S. Lewis began his plunge into an investigation of Christianity came when what happened? He found his imagination. It was baptized and in his creative place that he had, which obviously was quite vast, in that creative place that he had, 
God created a hunger in him to find out the truth. And we find ourselves looking at the life of C.S. Lewis through his writings in books like Miracles and Mere Christianity, The Abolition of Man, um, A Grief Observed. Oh my goodness, if you've ever grieved anything, read that and you'll be like, that speaks to my soul. It's so good. Why? Why did he do this? Because when he dug in to find answers and disprove Christianity, what did he find? He found a living God who when he pushed, pushed back. And his intellect couldn't say God doesn't exist. Nietzsche was wrong. God isn't dead. He's very much alive. Be the investigator. Let your mind get to work digging into this story. The further you dig for truth, the more you will find the truth. And that is Jesus Christ, whose words were, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. How great is this, that we are fearlessly just saying, dig into it, find the facts, become like Luke, and see the story, investigate the witnesses, and be a part of it, because this is the story. You wonder what history's about? This is his story. This is the story of Jesus and it, and it kind of, uh, I love the way the Gospels, when you lay them over the fabric of time and space, what do you get? One that goes back to the very beginning. One goes back to the Jewish, or to the creation roots, to the, to the Jewish, the bloodline, Adam through uh, Joseph and Mary, right? To the point of Jesus. And another story that begins just with the birth of Jesus. I love that. The fabric of the Gospels lays over the entirety of what? all created history. It's his story. This is the point of all history. This is it. If you miss this, you miss all of it, not just in your lifetime, but you miss all of it from creation to the end. This is his story. This is the story of it all. And I love what we did in worship this week. You saw some of the testimonies of people who were doing what? Living in the faithful tradition of Christians telling their story of where God met them and met them in a point of probably darkness and heartache, but God met them there. It's his story. Redeeming our story and attaching it right to him so that we become eyewitnesses to the grace of God, the goodness of God, the work of God in our own culture. The more you investigate into your faith, not an autopsy, but the more you dig in and search for the truth of God, the more you'll see him at work in the life you've been living and at work in the life you're about to live. He's, he's doing, like we said in Ephesians, he has prepared things, every good work, prepared in advance for us in Christ Jesus. So we recognize and we understand that we are called to play a part in history. We are called to play a part in the centerpiece of history, the point of it all, the things that give us our values, our worth, our reason for being. Investigate it and know this. This is the story. Don't miss this. Don't let Christmas be diluted by what you get or don't get. Let Christmas be the very center point where God, the Word, became flesh, where Almighty God descended and became 
one of us in order to redeem all of us. It's his story, and we're living in it. Oh, man, I want to go on to week two, but I can't, so I'm just going to pray, and I'm going to move on. Dig in with us. Let's go exploring in the Christian faith and find our hearts, our minds, our imaginations like C.S. Lewis is coming alive in what? The hope that it's not all meaningless. It is not all meaningless. Actually, it is all deeply soaked in a meaning, and that meaning is Jesus Christ. He has not failed to give meaning and purpose to his church over the last 2,000 years. Let's be a part of his story in our daily lives. Dig in, church. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the stories we heard from our own church members in the worship videos. Thank you for the way that you're working um, your story into our lives, God, so that we can be a living witness for you. May the world look at us, investigate the truth, and see that God is alive and well in his church. God, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you for the opportunity to be your church in this day in this age. May your story live in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you ever looked at your life and thought, I don't like my story? <laughs> like, you know, I don't like it. Maybe there's times where you look and you're, if your story is a book, you're like, first of all, no one will read this. And second of all, it makes me sad. Here's the thing. It's, it might be because your story's attached to the wrong source. This is what we know to be true that the Lord Jesus Christ has taken the lives of everyday ordinary people. And when they've attached that life to the Lord Jesus Christ, it becomes a life full of resurrection, of hope beyond the grave, of life eternal and purpose presently. If you're struggling because you think your story doesn't matter, link it to the only story that will ever matter. Let Christ live in your hearts Invite him in and let his story pair up with yours so that your life becomes a trumpeting, living witness of one truth, that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was for all of us a gift received individually and transforming the story we live into the story he created. Friends, as you go from this place, I invite you, let your story be completely bound to him, like umbilicated, like a mother carrying a child, completely attached, that his life would be your life. And you will find that you're not so concerned about your story anymore. You're living with purpose, clarity, and passion for his glory. As you go about this, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Friends, don't forget, come and get those uh, Advent calendars. We would love to get one of those in your hands for you to do devotions with your family every day and look that over. It's a great little Advent calendar. We put them together for December devotions for you. Grace, peace, and have a great week.